You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Stage Left, a bi-monthly podcast where we talk about the latest shows on Broadway and beyond. I'm your host, Rob Russo, writer, theater critic, and founder of StageLeft.NYC, and co-host and co-producer of the Fabulous Invalid podcast, also on the Broadway Podcast Network. This podcast provides a platform for younger critics and theater journalists with the goal of broadening the cultural conversation to elevate and include as many diverse perspectives as possible. I'm dying to know what's across the road, what's behind the wall, what's around the corner. And what will it take till I find my way? Will it be today? Will it be too late? Wait till you see what's next just beyond... This week we're back for the first time since Broadway shut down in March for a special episode in celebration of the abbreviated 2019-2020 season of theater here in New York. Instead of our usual two-person panel, this week I'm joined by four panelists, plus myself, and together for the first ever Stage Left Awards, not a real thing, we are going to share our picks for the most outstanding theater that we saw from May 2019 until the shutdown in March. The pool of nominees consists of every show that we each saw. We've got eight categories and a lot of opinions, so without further ado, I'd like to introduce our panelists. Going alphabetically by first name, first up is freelance theater critic and founder of RBK Social, the queen of Kings County, Ayanna Prescott. Welcome back, Ayanna. Hi. Next, we have senior staff writer at Backstage and president of the Katrina Lank Fan Club, the inimitable Casey Mink. Welcome back, Casey. <laughs> Thank you. And I'd like to be vice president of the Tony Shalhoub Fan Club. I think that Done. Be <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you. Then in that case, I am happy to be back. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, next is freelance theater critic, French pastry chef, and jam enthusiast, Christian Lewis. Welcome back, Christian. Thanks, Rob. I love all these extra titles, too. Yeah, well, you know, I'm trying to have a little fun. Um, and last, but never least, joining us for the first time as a panelist is Jamie Dumont. In a crossover moment from our other podcast, The Fabulous Invalid, Jamie is a co-producer of this show and, according to Playbill.com, a theater savant. Welcome, Jamie. Hi. I feel like my being here is a tiny bit of a cheat, but I'm very happy to be here. You're young at heart. Yes, you know, and yeah. that's what's oh, important. I, you that's know, I didn't even think of I didn't even think of the age thing. Thanks for pointing that out, Rob. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we know the rules. I've introduced our panel, but before we dive in, um, it would be tone deaf to say the least for me not to acknowledge the twin viruses that our country is currently fighting. Of course, there's the COVID nineteen pandemic, but there's also the virus of racism. Uh, in this particularly difficult time, I just want to say, and I know our panelists agree that I'm proud to stand in solidarity with everyone who is taking to the street to express rage, demand justice, and say with one voice, unequivocally, that Black Lives Matter. Like all people of goodwill, I am angry, I'm heartbroken, and I'm fed up with the racist violence against Black people. Before I step off my soapbox, I just have to say that if we want to see progress, in addition to massive structural reform, it's going to take white people stepping up, listening, learning, and changing. To paraphrase from playwright Jeremy O'Hara's slave play, we are the virus. Okay, I've talked now long enough. Let's dive in. Our first stage left award category is Outstanding Solo Performance. And to kick us off, I'm going to go to Ayana first. Ayana, what's your pick for Outstanding Solo Performance? I'm, I love this category, but I feel like I didn't see Dana H. And that pretty much would have been 
uh, the winner from what I'm hearing from everyone, <laughs> but because I didn't get to see that, my pick goes with um, Michael Benjamin Washington um, for Fires in the Mirror. I thought he was amazing. Mm-hmm. He did over 20 different cate- uh, characters um, from dialect to mannerisms. He was phenomenal, and I think he doesn't um, get his just due, so I think it's time he does um, for this category. Well, I'm glad you mentioned it because I missed fires in uh, fires in the mirror. So you know, we all we all miss things, right? Uh, so that's why I said the nominees are are every show that we saw, right? So we didn't all see the same things. Uh, Casey, what's your pick for outstanding yeah. solo? <laughs> um, I totally second Ayana in that that performance was incredible, but I also second her in that my pick is Dana H. Obviously, um, that was for those who don't know, it's a play in which Deirdre O'Connell lip syncs an entire um, transcript basically of, you know, an hour long event from the playwright Lucas Nate's um, own mother's life. And you forget within, within five minutes that she's lip syncing and she's not speaking. I truly remember my jaw just dropping to the ground when it first started because I'd never seen anything like that. And she is just, I mean, I, she's just one of these great New York theater actresses when you're like, oh, we really do have the deepest and best well of talent of any performance space. It was just, I've thought about it so many times since. So yeah, Dana H for sure. Amazing. Uh, Christian? 100% same. Deirdre O'Connell, Dana H was phenomenal. She lip synced so much that like when Lucas's mother in the recording shook her bracelet Deirdre O'Connell shook her bracelet on stage. So crazy, so crazy. I've I've just, like, I've seen a lot of drag lip syncs in my life, and I am one of those people on Twitter that's always complaining about who lip synced better on Drag Race, and, like, this was it. Like, Deirdre O'Connell is the lip sync master. Amazing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Jamie? For me, it was all about the water bottle in Dana H. (laughs) When she, there's a moment where she pulls a water bottle out, and she caresses it and she fidgets with it and many, many moments go by. It felt like five minutes, but it probably wasn't. And then finally she takes a sip from it and, and you hear the water go back and it's just, it's also beautifully timed. Um, and I, I will never forget that. So yes, mine is Dana H as well. Um, however, I will say the thing that I loved about it the most was the set. I thought that that, that, that claustrophobic, motel room was so scary and and comforting and I felt like I was a prisoner I felt like I had been kidnapped and yet I also felt very sort of calmed by the sort of pink salmony walls so Dana H yeah and I'm gonna I guess fourth that and say Dana H as well um, I'm so jealous yeah, I right mean, now I'm bummed that I missed Michael Benjamin Washington so um you know uh but yeah, Deidre O'Connell was my pick, 100%. All so moving on to our second category, it's Outstanding Performance in a Musical. And since I got to make the rules for my own fake award show, um, <laughs> I, I'm always like, I just, to, again, be on my soapbox, I hate that we gender awards for performance because mm-hmm. I don't understand what your sex or gender has to do with you know, performing. So um, I decided not to do actor, actress, and that whole cutesy thing. We just have performance. Mm-hmm. Also, it makes it a harder choice for all of us. So outstanding performance in a musical. Casey, who'd you pick? Um, yeah, well, I mean, eliminating the gender, you'd think it would make it a harder decision. But for me, it changed absolutely nothing. Miss Adrian Warren gave the performance of this year, maybe, you know, the last couple years and that's why I mean not to you know bring up a rival awards show but the Tonys really just coming for um our sort of deal here but she was just such a surefire win for that Tony and I'm so sad that that's you know whatever but it it was just I mean just the physicality and the sheer you know feat of what she was doing in that show was just something <laughs> un like anything I've seen. And also she did it at one point with like what a sprained ankle or something. She just wrapped that thing up and kept doing it. And I mean, it was so moving, but also so fun. And yeah, miss, miss Adrian Warren, that is a performance. 
Yeah, it turns out that Stephanie J. Block in The Share Show was the John the Gospel to uh, Adrian Warren's Jesus. Right. If I she, can, she if I can go so, that far. Yeah. SJB walks so Adrian Warren could run. That's exactly right. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Um, next up, uh, Christian. Um, as always, I like 1000% agree with Casey. Um, <laughs> I didn't even have to think about this. Talking about like Broadway, off-Broadway revivals actor, actress. It was Adrian Warren, 1,000%. It was amazing. I was in awe the entire performance. At the time, I counted the number of costume changes, songs, and wig changes she had because as someone who's like worked wardrobe, I was just like astounded by that. She never leaves the stage. She was in every single song except for one, and in the one song, she was on stage. (laughs) Exactly. Like, find me another musical where that happens. That was amazing. She absolutely wins this award. Amazing. Alrighty, uh, Jamie Dumont. Mine goes to the entire ensemble of A Strange Loop. If that's mm. if if I'm allowed to do that, it's a, a fake award show. You get to do whatever you want. Right. Yeah. With a special hat tip, of course, to Larry Owens. But also, I, I also I think that it's it's unfair to really pick one one person out of that ensemble because I think that the entire thing was so beautifully orchestrated as a unit. And, and I think that it's, it's, uh, it would be unfair to single any one person out. So the entire company of A Strange Loop. Okay, well now I feel terrible because I singled out Larry Owens as my, <laughs> as my favorite uh, musical performance of the year. But I agree with you. And when we, we had Michael R. Jackson on The Fabulous Invalid, our other podcast, um, and he talked about how you can't talk about Larry's performance I'm Larry like I know him. <laughs> Larry Owens' <laughs> performance um, without talking about um, all the other characters in the ensemble. Um, because uh, thoughts, right? They're the thought one, thought two, thought three, right? Um, because the show was really written, you know, sort of tailored on their bodies, right? And they were such an integral part to the, you know, the, the development of the piece. Um, so major tip of the hat to Larry Owens in my book, because, um, I mean, talk about a, a role meeting an actor, right? Like hand in glove, just such an extraordinary tour de force. Also someone who never left the stage um, and, you know, for 90 minutes anchored that musical and anchored it as, you know, a queer black man. And when do you ever see a musical anchored by a queer black man, right? Um, So that to me was just such a breakout and something I'll never forget. Um, Okay, Ayana, what's your outstanding musical performance of the year? 100% agree with Larry Owens, but... Definitely Adrian Warren. Um, I feel like Tina Turner has these magical legs. I just want to talk about Adrian Warren's legs and how she worked out extremely well to make sure they match Tina Turner's insured legs. Um, And the way she worked the stage was phenomenal to me. Um, she She would have won that Tony, and I'm so sad that she doesn't get to cross um. Radio City Music Hall stage with her legs. So <laughs> she deserves that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, the legs alone. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is a moment, and I've seen it a couple of times. Been fortunate to see the show a couple of times. There is a moment in that like mega mix concert at the end mm-hmm. where she does that leg thing and then she turns at the audience and just kind of winks. And it gets me every single time like <laughs> just owning the stage like that yeah. is so she's just like saying you're welcome yeah, yeah. no 100% she's like yeah, yeah. yeah I did yeah. that you know I just yeah. live for a star making <laughs> performance and that is just you know the definition of like oh we're watching someone become a bona fide Broadway star right before our goddamn eyes I was able to see the understudy. I went on a day where I got to see the understudy mm-hmm. and by far Adrian Warren knocks it out because it's like two different performances with the understudy and Adrian. Mm-hmm. So she definitely deserves it. Yeah. I have yeah. a confession to make. I hadn't seen it yet before the shutdown. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get to see, I haven't seen it yet. So Wow, Jamie. I know. I, well, I was saving it. I wanted to see it right around Before Tony time yeah. because there's always yeah. an excitement in the theater after the nominations come out. Oh, and, yeah. you know, she'd be in the middle of a campaign, so she'd be all pumped up and yeah. probably going to win. And I thought, yeah. oh, that's my moment to see it. Maybe the weekend of the Tonys. True. Yeah. Well, if there's any justice, they will find a way to get her a Tony Award. Um, I don't know how, I don't know when, but uh, that remains to be seen. 
All righty. Uh, so moving on to our next category, outstanding performance in a play. So although I'm not here for gender, I am here for the musical play division. So, you know. Um, and to kick us off, we're going to go with Christian. Oh, Rob, I really struggled with this one. Ooh, okay. Okay, I'm going to do like rapid fire, three-way tie, and I'll try not to like justify it because it will take too long. Okay, my rapid three-way tie are Joaquina Calicungo in Slave Play, Mm. Rose Byrne in Medea, and I will not shut up about this, but Ashley Park in Grand Horizons, because supporting actor is a lot of great work. Yes, 100%. So those are my three that I just can't stop thinking about, and apologies for the three-way tie. No, again, fake award show. You can make up all, you can do all the ties you want. Um, can I just say, Ashley Park did more with no lines than any other actor I've seen in a really long time. Just like when she went through her bag, when she's sitting on the couch and other action is happening, just those moments, she's brilliant. There was a portion yeah. in Act Two where she didn't speak for like 20 minutes. And instead of sitting in the corner silent, she had a full on panic attack. And I was like, this is acting. (laughs) This is it. Amazing. Amazing. Okay, so Jamie, what's your your pick? Oh, um, I have a tie too. Oh, a lot Um, of ties. um, Actually, technically mine's a three-way tie. So that would be um, Marianne Plunkett and Brenda Wheel for the Michaels, but also the baking bread. (laughs) <laughs> which which yes. was a performance in of itself. But oh those two women, I don't know if anybody saw the Michaels. I would not have gone if it hadn't been for Rob Russo, who, who yeah. really pushed me to go. And those two women, just in, again, like with Ashley Park, just just in simplicity, the, the beauty of their performance, the beauty of their connection of the two actors, but also the connection of the characters, was just magnificent. And you don't see understated, simple perfection like that very often. Yeah, well, it's funny. You, you had a confession about Adrian Warren. I have a confession. My The first Richard Nelson play I'd ever seen was The Michaels. And after seeing that one play, I, I am a full-on convert to his style of theater making. I was completely blown away by that piece. Um, and I agree, that bread. Ugh, oh, you walk bread. in. I mean, it, the bread yeah. was a character in of itself. Yeah. <laughs> but I am, I am always here for less. You know, when, 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 yeah. when, Things are slice of life when it's really there's no huge Pun reveal. There's no oh yeah, but and this play really demonstrated that. But the performances of these two women really nothing better. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, my pick is Emily Davis for "Is This a Room." Um, that was another piece uh, at the Vineyard Theater, another piece of you know documentary theater. Um, this time it wasn't limp syncing, but they used the transcript of a real FBI interrogation um, as as the text of the play. And just like Deirdre O'Connell sort of matched every sound, um, Emily Davis captured every single sort of you know verbal flub or tick or incomplete thought. And to translate that real life text onto stage the way that she did was just breathtaking. And, you know, it's a play, I know, Casey, you were on when we talked about uh, Is This a Room on Stage Left? And I, you know, it wasn't my favorite play of the year. I didn't, you know, I didn't necessarily sort of, you know, I had some issues with the ideology behind it, but the performance itself to me was just unimpeachable. And um, Emily Davis, like, God, what a star. Uh, I hope that I get to see her do all the plays uh, moving forward. Um, Great, okay, and Ayana. What's your pick for outstanding performance in a play? So I had a two-way tie, but it's two people from the same play. I chose Jonathan Price and Eileen Atkins from In the Height of the Storm. Uh, um, mm-hmm. It was one of my favorite plays from this season. It's a memory play, and they did so well with um, tricking the audience's mind in who was alive and who was actually dead in the show and they were so phenomenal. They brought such humor and horror to the show. Um, and I think that, you know, as I've said before, I love senior citizens in shows <laughs> that can, um, do eight shows a week. And I think they are beyond um, deserving of that, this recognition. To round out this category, uh, Casey, who's your pick? Yeah, honestly, this was the hardest category for me, for sure. And even just hearing all of you guys, I want to make it like a 16-way tie because I agree (laughs) with all of those. Like Rose Byrne, Medea, I didn't even, she didn't even 
register as going into this, but of course. But um, my pick is kind of, well, no, I was going to say boring, but it's only just because she's such a master. But Mary Louise Parker in The Sound Inside, uh, I have thought about that performance. Yes. So I saw it three times, which mm. obviously it's a David Crummer directed thing. Like, obviously I have to see it more than once. I'm obliged. <laughs> but just what... I mean, it was basically not to, you know, diminish the work of the other actor in this two person play, but it, she was, you know, she was that whole play and it's, you know, about a, an ailing woman and that could be really unfun to watch. And instead she just plays it with such strength and humanity and, oh my God, and it's funny too. It was just so brilliant and the thing is talk about you know so many things we've lost this season but she was going to star in another play in the spring how i learned to drive and i didn't get to i mean no one got to see it i don't think it even played its first preview but if we only got one mary louise parker performance for the season like i'm so glad that it was this one it was just rich and i'll think about it forever she was going to be my fourth if I did a fourth way tie. <laughs> <Yeah>. I felt <laughs> bad. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, that, this was a tricky category for me too, I have to admit. All righty. Uh, so moving on to our next category, Outstanding Revival. So this can be a play or a musical or any other form of theater. Um, and we're going to kick off with Jamie. You know, I totally misread this. I, In my own adult brain, I read Revival of a Musical, and I was like, well, that doesn't give us a lot of choices, right? Because naturally I want to choose company, but I don't feel that it's fair to, 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 to do that because I only saw the first preview. And, right, it and, never officially opened. Yeah. Right, and also, again, this was going to be my Sophie's Choice of this whole past season was because I was I, I, I loved Company and I knew I would love it as, it as it continued to grow and evolve throughout the preview process, but also West Side Story. So that's my, that's my official pick, West Side Story, because I thought it was a brilliant reimagining of um, something that we've seen many, many, many times before in many different forms, but always sort of traditionally performed. Although I did, when I was in high school, Loyola Academy did a breakdance version of uh, West Side Story, which I always thought was ambitious, um, (laughs) if misguided. But at any rate, um, this one, because I think they, they, they took the form, they reimagined it, they made it contemporary. It was exciting. It was sexy. Um, And that video wall, hat tip to Luke Halls for that incredible, incredible wall of video. Yeah, um, uh, this is not going to be surprising to you, Jamie, but my pick for Outstanding Revival was also West Side Story. Um, I was obsessed with this production. I know it was very divisive. People have a lot of feelings about it, um, but I was firmly on the side of just loving every second of it. I mean, I you know I admit there were some some parts that were a little you know heavy handed, but um, the concept itself to me was just outstanding, and the execution of it. You know, I went to the, I was at the first preview. Um, and the fact of the technical, you know, side of of the show that they were able to nail it even on the first preview um, was so incredibly impressive. Um, and just the vision of it, you know, making it contemporary, um, giving younger actors and people of color the opportunity to play these roles because so often that is not the case. Um, and it was the first time ever, 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 ever that I actually believed that there was any sort of you know, thing between Tony and Maria. Um, You know, usually it's just such a like tossed off thing. And they had an outstanding chemistry, um, Isaac Powell and Shireen Pimentel. Um, And I thought they both gave outstanding performances. Um, So I, head over heels, whatever that phrase means, loved West Side Story. Uh, uh, And it's my pick for Outstanding Revival. Okay, Um, Ayano. Um, my pick, actually, as you guys know, I've said I, I don't like West Side Story. Sorry. Yeah. Well, um, but, yeah. <laughs> um, for colored girls who considered suicide um, when mm. the rainbow was enough um, at the public was phenomenal. And um, the feeling that I got watching that, because I've seen it so many times, but this revival, I don't, I'm, I don't remember who the director was, but this revival was groundbreaking for me um from the costumes with black historical figures on them to the acting to um being in an audience filled with people of color and just everything about that show um moved me and it's probably my best my favorite 
production of that show. I will always regret that I missed this production uh, at the public. I just, my dance card in October was just so full. I, I kicking myself. Um, and Jamie likes to point out um, that I missed it. Yeah, uh, often because so <laughs> well, I wasn't going to do that now, but well, yeah. and you did. Why well, hold you, back? Yeah, you, you, you be you. Alrighty, um, Casey, your outstanding revival. Well, <laughs> the thing about this category is that so, um, as Jamie said, company didn't even get to make it to press performances. So, I mean, most everyone didn't see it. Uh, I, however, obviously did because I went to the first preview. So that's my pick. Um, <laughs> and I I sneakily con- like chose this because I wanted to find a way to get it in there. And it was one of my favorite experiences of the season for sure. I mean, going to that first preview, it was so long because there was, I think, some sort of technical difficulty at intermissions. There was like a 35-minute intermission and I didn't get out of that theater until like 11, 15. I don't fucking care <laughs> getting to see the first preview of that show. I mean, we if it were up to me, I'd still be clapping for, you know, Patty LuPone's Ladies Who Lunch. Like, it was just the kind of energy that we got into this, you know, ridiculous field for in the first place. And also, kind of weirdly, but that was March... It was like early March, like people kind of, we, there was a different feeling in New York city at the time. I mean, it was sort of a matter of when virus related. And I think that every performance felt, um, especially fleeting and yeah, I just wouldn't trade the experience for anything in the world. Um, obviously also in large part because my favorite, um, actor, (laughs) Miss Katrina Link was in it and incredible. And, uh, I just would be as miserable as I've been throughout this quarantine, like I can't imagine what kind of place I would be emotionally had I not gotten that in beforehand. So that's that. Yeah, you knew. That's why you were there. And I, as you know, I, know. I was a, I was across the the orchestra um, at that performance, and it was it was truly electric. I mean, it, it was, was so thrilling to see that show back on Broadway with that cast, with this vision. Marianne Elliott, like give her you know, all the awards. And, you know, yeah. it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, at this point, who knows what's coming back when this is all over, but like the show will have such a an added resonance. I mean, as it does in every incarnation with every cultural milestone and touchstone, but it will mean something else entirely. It will be a whole new experience if it does come back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. From another hundred people to being alive. I mean, hello. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Uh, Christian, your pick for Outstanding Revival. I have a lot of thoughts about like revivals, like capital R. And like if I was going to write a book about theater, it would be about like the, the politics of revivals. Mm. So I have like a couple different answers here. Yeah. For a play, 100% agree with Ayana for Color Girls Who Have Considered Suicide. It was my first time experiencing it other than reading it. And it was like, everything I could have ever wanted. Kicking myself, kicking myself. <laughs> which I similarly will say about Fefu that like just a play that I've read that I got yeah. to see and I was like, oh my God. It didn't, it wasn't a revival to me. It was a first, but it was like, this is everything I've ever wanted out of a play that I've read so much in love. Yeah. On a similar like nostalgia, perfect production. Uh, the production of Little Shop that happened off Broadway was like everything I could ever want in a production of Little Shop. Yeah. But my yeah, actual sorry. number one pick. <laughs> Four-way tie. Four-way tie. I know. That was not my actual number one pick. Sorry. My actual number one pick is Unsinkable Molly Brown because I mm-hmm. love revivals that really like rework things and try to make things work and don't just take things at 100% nostalgia. So I loved what that show did. Uh, Christian, we know the next episode of Stage Left that we were planning to record before the shutdown was going to be about the Unsinkable Molly Brown. And um, I had like, I could not have had more of an opposite reaction to that show. I hated every second yeah. of it. So I, I, I'm so bummed that we were deprived of the opportunity. We might have to do a bonus episode and uh, duke it out over. And me, you and uh, Casey were all there together too. Yes. Everyone oh my was gosh. There that night. Yeah. Ugh. There was another one of those nights that was uh, very special. Okay, uh, that is Outstanding Revival. So um, I saw this category on the Drama Desk this year of Outstanding Adaptation and was like, yes, why isn't there this category more often? Um, and it's only triggered you know, when there's enough nominees for the Drama Desk, um, and I guess there was this year. So Outstanding Adaptation, I'm going to kick off this time. 
And my pick is Moscow, 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 Moscow by Haley Pfeiffer, <laughs> which obviously is an adaptation of Chekhov's Three Sisters. Um, I loved every single fucking moment of this mm. play. I saw it twice. The irreverence of it, the wit, the intelligence, the way that she like translated this novel and these characters to like, you know, internet speak and millennial age, you know, sort of ethos, um, while still at the same time getting at Chekhov's point, you know, and like honoring the integrity of the underlying work while also at the same time kind of satirizing it. I don't know how she pulled it off. And it was an MCC theater production with a perfect cast. Like every single one of those actors, if I could give an ensemble award, which, uh, at next year's fake stage left awards, I will add an ensemble category. Um, I would have given it to that cast because every single person uh, was just pitch perfect. I love, love, love that show. I wish more people had seen it. I wish it had transferred to Broadway. I wish all the things, my favorite adaptation of the year. Um, okay, next up, Ayana, your pick for adaptation. Um, this one was really hard because I was confused on if I were to read the book and then go to the stage play. So I really don't have a pick for this one because um, I didn't read a lot of books that went to stage plays. So I don't have a pick. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, Casey, your pick for adaptation. Um, yeah, I mean, this wasn't the most competitive category in that like I absolutely fucking hated my name as Lucy Barton. Um, <laughs> but I really did also love Moscow times five. And Kristen yeah. and I have actually talked about that a lot. And I feel like like I should be, in addition to being president and vice president of the Tony Shalhoub fan club, vice vice president of the Hallie Pfeiffer fan club. Because I yeah. think that she is so brilliant. And like I want to see everything from her from this point forward. She's doing some TV now. Good for her. Pay those bills. Yeah, but, make that money. Um, yeah, yeah I, I mean, pretty much everything that you said, Rob, but like it was just such a smart adaptation of a play that I frankly don't care for. I know yeah. I said it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I honestly wish I could have seen it one more time because it was so, it was just so yeah. funny. It, 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 smart. it kind of reminded me of, I don't know if you guys saw last season, at Abrams Art Center, uh, there was a play called like Everybody is Okay with Virginia Woolf or Everybody's Fine <laughs> with Virginia Woolf. And it, it, kind of, it kind of did the same thing. It was like a new work that took the same, you know, shape and characters of, of an existing play, obviously, and like turned it upside down, but yet was still a tribute to it, right? Okay. And I think to be able to pull that off, um, it's, you know, it's hard. Right. It's not like making fun of the source material because that would just be You'd run out of counterproductive. Steam. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, and also yeah. she's paying homage to to the original writer and everything, but yeah, loved it. 100%. Okay, so maybe this is going to be no surprise, but Christian, what's your pick? I swear, you put this in just so Casey and I could talk about Moscow. <laughs> or maybe I put it in so I could talk about Moscow. Well, I didn't know. I mean, Casey and I have declared ourselves like co-presidents of this fan club, but like oh you, can, you can come in too. Can I be treasurer? Yeah. <laughs> this play is everything I've ever wanted, but have never gotten from Chekhov. Yeah. I had to do so much Chekhov work in school and it was always slog and this was what I've always wanted. Chris Perfetti playing Masha made me want to be an actor mm. again. Yeah. Yes. This was just so perfect. I've myself as like written adaptation of old plays into modern day. And like what Haley Pfeiffer did is what I was always trying to do. Like this was just so perfectly done and I just want to see it a million times. I want to be in it. I want to do everything with this play. Yeah. hundred percent. I agree. Uh, Jamie. This category really fucked me up. I had a really hard time with it, and I didn't really understand. I texted Rob about it several times. He was useless and not helpful. Wow. Um, and, and it's a fake award show, guys. It is going to make up your own rules. All right, by law, an, adap an adaptation is whatever you think an adaptation is. Right. And so it took me a really long time to get to it. And so I, at, for a moment, I, was, I had Moscow, Moscow, Moscow. And then I figured everyone was going to choose that. And it wouldn't wow. be interesting. I didn't see it. Lucky. And, you <laughs> right. so I and then I, when I was doing my research, just refreshing my memory on Dana H., there was the word adapted by. In, and I was like, oh, there it is. Dana H., brilliant. <laughs> okay. And then I thought, well, no, because that's not really <laughs> what well, I that think. Counts. This is a journey. It does count. But my journey. choice. Where did you land? Yeah. I landed on 
Judgment Day at oh. the Park Avenue Armory. Um, yes. And that is, it's a, it was an adaptation by Christopher Shin of a German play from 1937, and I will butcher his name, but I will try, Udon von Hovarth. Um, Sounds but good to me. What what was so stunning, and this is where I really this is really where I I wrestled because um, the play wasn't really what struck me. It was the production. It was being at the Armory. It was its scale, its scope, its nightmare quality, its simplicity. Uh, it just it really was a magnificent evening in the theater that I hadn't I hadn't had that kind of experience in a really long time, and it reminded me that um, you know there's stuff beyond Broadway and off-Broadway, and theater can be many different shapes and forms. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I run to see everything that's at Park Avenue Armory because I crave theater on that scale that just sort of eviscerates our, con- our conventions of, you know, the, the um, you know, Victorian sort of theater, right? And like is willing to work in three dimensions and occupy such a space. I, I, I saw that with you and I would endorse anyone checking out anything at Park Avenue Armory. Even if it's bad, it's always fun to look at. Um, okay, so uh, we're rounding down to our final three categories. Um, outstanding new play. And to kick us off is going to be Ayana. Um, okay, so I picked... I didn't know it had to be a new play, but I picked... Oh, so yeah, just outstanding play. Oh, yeah, okay. I, guess, you know. um, I picked a soldier's play, and I picked... Mm. Don't, don't shoot me, guys, but I picked Frankie and Johnny. Um, <laughs> no bullets. Why would we shoot? <laughs> um, but I just feel like a soldier's play, it was so magnificent. Um, everybody who starred in it, I feel like the whole ensemble... Um, spoke to me. I think that that play speaks to me more now than it did when I saw it um, because of the Mm. times we're in. Um, And Frankie and Johnny, I mean, Audra, the queen of everything, (laughs) even if the play is like not everybody's favorite, I feel like anything that she is in recreates itself because she can do that. Um, Yeah. So those two are my favorite from the season. A uh, strong cosign with uh, a soldier's play. I had never seen it. I'd never read it. And God, I loved that play. I thought it was terrific. Um, and it felt new, even if it was a revival. Yeah. Um, it, wa- it was making its Broadway debut. It hadn't been seen in New York since the 80s. Um, okay. Uh, Casey, your pick for Outstanding Play. Yes. Um, this was a tough choice between two plays, but since... I didn't shut the hell up about um, our dear dead drug lord on my first episode of Stage Left. (laughs) I'm going to choose my other favorite play of the year, which is Heroes of the Fourth Turning. Mm. Um, First of all, tell me a year ago that I'm going to just love a play about young white conservatives. (laughs) Like, never. But Will Arbery, the playwright, who's like this 30-year-old dude, is... Just, I mean, he is a savant. He is a genius. This play about, again, this group of white, conservative Americans living in the South, just really sort of articulating their beliefs in such a way that I found myself not identifying with their ideology, but identifying with them as human beings. And that is how you know that it's someone who's just an expert at their craft. I mean... We talk all the time about how in New York, especially, it's like you're preaching to the choir. 
obviously, you know, nine out of 10, if not more than that, we're all going to be liberals. So it really takes something special to know that, to know that your audience is going to be that person and still find the way to get them on your side and interested in what you're saying. Oh my God, I need to buy it and read it because it's the kind of thing that I actually think would translate just as well to the page. Just Mm. genius work. Yeah. And part of a season of Playwrights Horizons that was just off the Mm. wall. Like insane. I mean, between that and A Strange Loop in the same year. Oh my God. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, they did uh, the Lucas Nath play in their second stage. I feel like I lived there for a few months. Yeah. Which was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Totally. Okay. Uh, And uh, here's the fourth turning was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. Losing to Losing to Strange Loop. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, excellent programming at Playwrights. Okay. Uh, Christian, your pick for outstanding play. A tie between our dear dead drug lord, which I mm. didn't get to talk nonstop about like Casey did, but I do online all the time. Um, yeah. And Make Believe, which is <gasps> a play so yeah. good that I made my whole extended family buy tickets and go see it. Yes. Shout out to uh, Best Wall. Season of Best Wall. What a year. <laughs> yes. Three, three premieres. Special in award, time. special stage lefty for Best Wall. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Stage lefty. I love that. Okay. <laughs> well, we're going to use that moving forward. TM, TM. Um, all righty. Jamie, outstanding play. Well, I think, actually, I know one person on this that saw it. Um, Mine is kind of an offbeat one. It is Streetcar Named Desire at mm. um, the Mr. Rogers Performing Space, directed by Kevin Horrigan and Precariat and Coven Productions. It was an immersive streetcar. Uh, it was a very small audience. Uh, everybody was on one side of the stage, which was in the center. And you really felt like you were in the living room uh, with them. It was very suffocating. It was very intense. It was very scary. Um, it was it was really an intense and really wonderful evening in the theater. And um, Blanche was played by a genderqueer actor, which completely up- upended, you know, sort of the way that the play lands um, in terms of the just sort of gender politics of the whole thing. Um, and I saw it with you, so I'm clearly showing my hand. Um, but I jumped at the opportunity because A, Tennessee Williams, um, you know, duh. But B, you know, this, I, I, if it wasn't the first time, it was certainly the first time in New York that anyone had, had done um, that sort of take on, on the casting of the character. Um, and it, for me, it was a bit of a slow burn, but in the end, in that final scene, uh, when the wig came off, and if you know the play, mm-hmm. you know what's happening in that final scene. It was, uh, you know, I still think about it. Yeah. Uh, wow. Okay. Um, my pick for outstanding new play. It's a bit of a cheat because uh, it was off Broadway last season, but on Broadway this season. And that is Slave Play by Jeremy O'Harris. Well, I didn't um, know we could count last season. Well, yes. There are no rules. Fake, fake, <laughs> fake. fake, fake <laughs> I, I co-signed oh. that. Uh, I know that Ayana hated this play. We I talked about it on the first do. I think episode. Even more now. Yes. Sorry, guys. No, no, never <laughs> apologize for your opinion. Um, but I loved it, and I, I, I just felt like, um, you know, even more so than the play itself, which I think is you know outstanding. Um, the fact of its existence on Broadway was just something to me that I, more and more and more I want to see more young playwrights. I want to see more playwrights of color, um, you know, and I want to see more plays that, you know, force white audiences to think about, um, <laughs> you Absolutely. know, uh, our, our, the, our complicity in, you know, sort of systems of oppression. Um, and this play certainly did that and more, and was just also really funny. That's the thing that I always forget about safe play is that I, you know, I found it to be as, as serious as the subject matter was, um, I think Jeremy was again here. I'm with the first names. Like I know. I'm like we're hanging out. <laughs> Mr. Harris, Mr. Harris was, um, you know, so um, so just smart with his pen and and getting us to laugh at things and then like be devastated by things. Um, so that would be my pick for outstanding play. Already our last real category. And then we have a fake category. <laughs> um, but aren't they all fake? Is outstanding musical. And that we're starting with Casey. Your pick for outstanding musical. Not even a question. Um, I saw six the night before. Literally, 
So March 12th, Broadway shut down. March 11th, your girl was sitting in the Brooks <laughs> Atkinson, like living because I, I knew, we all knew at that point, it was only a matter of time. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. What a show to, you know, end my theater going days with for however, however long. What a celebration of womanhood, of female autonomy. It was, and the thing is about it, so obviously I've been hearing about six, six, six for like a year and a half, two years. And I never listened to the music because there was a cast recording available. I said, no, you are not doing it. You are going to wait until your butt is in that seat and you're going to listen to it for the first time when you see the show. I'm so glad I did because <laughs> that music and that score and that book, oh my God, it is just a perfect, perfect musical. I am almost certain it would have won Best Musical. Well, actually, I don't know. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> voting practices when it comes to the Tony, so who knows? But, I mean, it was just the, some of the most fun I've ever, ever had at the theater in my life. And just also, again, speaking to, like, you know, our favorite perform or experiences of the season, I mean, we all knew that that was the end of our days. And, like, to go out with that was just, uh, it was, it's a perfect musical written by, like, 24-year-olds, like, yeah. kill myself. I want to die. But yeah, that perfect musical. Perfect musical. Yeah, I saw it in London um, a year ago and was just waiting for it to come to New York. Um, I didn't get to see it on Broadway, but um, I agree 100%. And I'm going to say something that, you know, I'm just going to have a hot take here. And I, it's not fair to compare the two because whatever, they live in different worlds, kind of, but I think it's better than Hamilton. Said it! Oh, 100%. I said it! Said it! At this point, it's like not even controversial to say things like that because, like, liking Hamilton is like almost more subversive for people like us. But that That's said, real. totally agree. Um, finally, a a piece of theater that I don't know centralizes female narratives rather than pushes them to lay margins. Um, mm-hmm. Lin Manuel, I'll talk whenever you're ready. You know what I mean. <laughs> Also, I want to say that we didn't get it open and we didn't get like replacement cast on Broadway, but it was really significant that the casting call for six said that it was open to any women or non-binary performers Mm. and that like the creators were really open to that, to having like a non-binary performer play one of the six queens. And I think if it was open long enough and that eventually happened, that would have been like a very significant yeah. moment uh, for sure well let's put it out into the world that it will happen it right. will happen i want like the point, 10 right? year from now stunt casting yeah like, 100%. Luann, yeah. countess luann from housewives like put her in <laughs> amazing okay you don't want that <laughs> you think you want that but no, i definitely yeah. don't uh, okay uh christian your pick for outstanding musical i would pick six if i got to see it but i didn't um but i'm going to pick octet because it's mm. something that i've been thinking about ever since I saw it and something that literally I can't stop thinking about now that my entire life is only online and on the computer. And like, we don't even have a choice right now to be internet addicts or not, but internet addict is just a way of life. And I think Octet has a whole new meeting and can feel even more like prescient after this, but it's just a musical I thought so much about and it's just so tight and so perfect. It's one of those rare off-Broadway premieres that I'm like, this is perfect. You don't need to change it. Like it's all set. Yeah, and I mean, I I just cannot get over the fact, and I still to ha- how they technically pulled it off because it's a it's an acapella musical, um, and um, unlike in Transit, um, oh. this one is <laughs> it's is, good, it's quite quite good. Um, and, you know, Dave Malloy is I mean such an incredible writer and such an incredible thinker. There's just layers upon layers upon layers operating on you as an audience member. And I you know I saw it. I was a little under the weather, and I I. Um, you know, I, it was part of a crowded schedule. I, I, I wish I could see it again because I, it's the kind of work that I think there's more to see the more you interact with it. Um, Jamie, outstanding musical. It's a quick tie, a strange loop, and soft power. Mm. Care to expound? Well, I think I've said a lot about <laughs> A Strange Loop. Um, I thought it was brilliant. I love that musical. I, I want it to have another life. I think it will. Um, and soft power is just something, again, that's very close to my heart. I, 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 I feel that it's a very important piece of theater. I think it's a really interesting look at not only um, politics, but culture clash. Um, I, think, I think actually 
soft power might be more relevant when theater returns. So hopefully mm. we can hopefully hopefully we can see that again. Um, I think that's a I think that's a tougher sell than a strange loop. Um, but they're both incredibly interesting and unique and slightly form breaking. And I think that they we need a lot more theater like this. I, I like these shows for sure. Hundred percent. Well, my my favorite, or my favorite, my 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 pick for outstanding musical is A Strange Loop. Um, I have not been able to stop thinking about it since I saw it. And to your point, Casey, about you know centering uh, characters and perspectives and stories on, in, a, in a musical, you know, both Soft Power and A Strange Loop did that in addition to Six um, in this season. And like to me, just the force of truth behind Michael R. Jackson's writing still floors me. Um, the like the specificity with which he wrote, the vulnerability with which he put um, that character and that story and that arc on stage, um, and then just the sheer brilliance of like the the dramaturgy behind the whole thing, right? I mean, the way that musical is structured, um, you know, I, I, he wouldn't say that it's necessarily breaking the form, um, but it certainly uh, represents an extraordinary uh, sort of nailing of the form, right? Of, of taking a musical theater as, as a, as a vehicle, as a delivery system uh, to use Janine Chisori's uh, phrase from soft power um, and sort of putting it into hyperdrive and really pushing to see what it, you know, what it can be and do when perfected. Um, I'm so glad it won the Pulitzer prize and I can't wait to see the next production, which will happen when this is all over. For sure. Yeah. Um, Ayana, your pick for new musical or musical. Um, I'm going to pick an underdog because I didn't get to see six. I feel like Casey made all the right choices. <laughs> choices before <laughs> well, quarantine. I, was, uh, <laughs> I, I feel like she went to the best theater, um, but I'm going to go with the wrong man. Um, I just oh, feel like, yes. I feel like Joshua Henry was a phenomenal. Uh, okay. He was, he's, he deserves recognition like now. Um, but I, I want to talk about Ross Golan, who created the show. I mean, he went from a writer for writing for Ariana Grande and Nicki Minaj to like creating an entire musical that really bumps. Like everyone in the theater was like knocking their head. It was such good music. Um, the book could be a little bit better, but I just felt like as a musical, the ensemble, everyone in it, it was. For me, it was phenomenal. I'm sure I would have picked six as well, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't make totally. the right theater choice. But like <laughs> to that point, I think that it takes a really, really tight kind of musical to get people in a theater hearing the score for the first time to like sort of vibe. Yeah. And that was true of the Wrong Man, and definitely true of Six. Too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this last category, as I said, um, is kind of fake, but mm-hmm. I wanted to give everyone an opportunity to share something that didn't fit into one of the boxes that I already sort of laid out. And so this category is just favorite theater-going experience. So this can be a moment, it can be a song, it can be a performance, it could be a whole show. It doesn't even, it could be something that happened, you know, while you were waiting during intermission, you know, to go to the bathroom, right? Something that, that stuck out to you over the last season, a favorite theater-going experience. We're going to start with Christian. Okay, so I have one that's before the show, which was at, that I briefly mentioned already, that was Unsinkable Molly Brown, because mm-hmm. in a bizarre, like, PR fluke, at, like, every single press person was at the exact same performance. Yes. Helen Shaw was behind me. Casey was in the same row as me. Mm-hmm. Rob was a few rows behind me. Al Henry was there. Louis Feitzman, like, yeah. literally all of my... I was behind Jose Solis. There you yeah. go. Like, yeah. everyone <laughs> was there, and... I think this is especially relevant for us because this whole podcast is about like younger theater journalists that it, it mm-hmm. made me really feel like part of this mm. in a way that I often don't. It just really made me feel like part of the theater critic journalists community. But then one that was more about the actual show was one of the last shows that I saw before the pandemic hit and theater close was We're Gonna Die. And it's Ooh. like, yeah, that's it. This is the show that like will be on my head and is getting me through this pandemic and was just such a meaningful like goodbye to theater temporarily about like understanding and embracing death in this world in a more positive musical way. Mm. And a tight hour, 60 minutes in and out, such an underrated <laughs> We virtue. stand. Yes. And we got balloons <laughs> at the end. <laughs> there you go. 
Um, all righty, Jamie, your favorite theater-going experience. Well, this is a tiny bit of a cheat, but it would be Betty Buckley and Jason Robert Brown at Subculture. Mm. Um, it was a it was a concert um, part of his concert series that he does through Subculture. Um, Betty Buckley is a particular favorite of mine. She might be my Katrina Lenk, Casey. Mm, I don't know about that. But. <laughs> but I, said, I said my Katrina Lenk. Um, but what was so great about it is that, um, you know, Betty, Betty Buckley is an incredible actor and performer, but she also has a very unique and specific style of performing in a concert setting. And Jason Robert Brown picked the most incredible music for her to perform or they picked it together, however that process happened. And it was a really beautiful like melding of two artists who are incredibly talented coming together to just give pure pleasure and joy to a very small, intimate um, group of people. And it was absolutely extraordinary. I've seen, I've been, I've been going to see Betty Buckley perform for a very long time and it's one of the best things she's ever done. Okay, um, I have kind of two. The first is um, we lost Jerry Herman back in December. And not only am I a big fan of his oeuvre, um, you know, from Hello, Dolly and Mame to Lacage, and even the ones that folks don't talk about as much, like Milk and Honey and um, The Grand Tour. Um, and Mac and Mabel, of course, which we mm-hmm. saw at, at Encores. Um, but I went to the memorial concert that they did at the Lent Fontaine, um, which was very clearly designed by Jerry um, in terms of the program. Um, and at one point during the, the concert um, service, whatever you want, it was, it was a celebration, um, Donald Pippen came out and conducted uh, MAME. And it was just such an incredible moment of like witnessing history and the passage of time and the tradition of the theater, seeing this, you know, very old man who in 1966 was conducting the, you know, the orchestra at the Winter Garden Theater, um, you know, step up to that platform again and wield that baton and lead an orchestra through a title song of one of the greatest composers in you know, Broadway history. Um, it was just such an overwhelming combination of things that um, made me feel very blessed to be, you know, in this world and and a part of it and um, able to celebrate it. So that's one thing. And then the second thing, um, which I've already talked about, but is that first preview of West Side Story that I went to because there was a lot of pent up, you know, what is it going to be? What is Eva Van Hove going to do with West Side Story? Um, and, you know, I don't think I'm spoiling anything at this point because it's been written about, but the second that sort of like fake back wall of the theater turned into a screen and you realize that you'd been kind of tricked the whole time you were sitting there watching, you know, the smoke pass on the stage, I was hooked. And if I had to single out one other moment, um, it was the dance at the gym because, uh, again, with the show, it was like, you know, they were not doing the Jerome Robbins choreography. You know, Ana Teresa de Kiersmacher was re-choreographing this iconic show. There are very few shows that, you know, the average theater goer actually knows the choreography too, right? As a chorus line, there's West Side Story, maybe like Turkey Lurkey from <laughs> Promises, Promises. There are not many, you know, moments in musical theater history where the average theater goer can say, oh, that's the choreography. And West Side Story, almost every freaking minute of that show, you know it because of the film, um, you know, capturing Jerome Robbins' choreography. Um, And to me, the dance at the gym was so thrilling to watch. And at no point during it, I mean, not during the whole show, but especially during that number, did I ever miss or think of Jerome Robbins' choreography. And to me, that's just such a credit to the artistry of... um, Anna Teresa de Kiersmacher, um, that she could take that on. Because look, I think it was Rob Ashford who did that revival of Promises, Promises. And you know what? I missed Michael Bennett's choreography, right? Um, and, you know, other people have done, when Wayne Salento did Sweet Charity and like, sure, it was great, but like, where's the Bob Fosse choreography, you know? And for me to not miss Jerome Robbins' choreography while seeing West Side Story, to me, is just the favorite theater-going experience of... Le season. Alrighty. Um, Ayana, your favorite theater going experience. Yeah. My favorite is one that I'm going to miss this season. Um, 
Shakespeare in the Park, Much Ado About Nothing. <gasps> oh, like, yes, Ayana. Yes. Oh. <laughs> the entire oh. experience from mm. waiting online with theater lovers to getting your froze, um, <laughs> to going in and seeing a show about Black joy. It was so phenomenal to me. And I think I'm really going to miss Shakespeare in the Park this year. So that definitely takes 2019 by far. Yeah, that was that was a magical, magical evening. Yeah, for one sure. Of the, one of the best Shakespeare's in the park ever. Yeah, I'm willing to say that. Absolutely. Yeah. Incredible. Alrighty, uh, Casey. Last word. Your favorite theater going experience. Oh, perfect. Because <laughs> so mine is mine is two tiered. Because I mean, as anyone who's ever done a podcast with me before sorry to all of you because I guess that's now you guys um you know I have a certain uh checklist that I have to get through um and on that checklist is first Miss Carrie Coon you would think that I wouldn't have a way to work her in here however (laughs) the weekend before New York City shut down um I actually was in Chicago (laughs) visiting my literally so old grandparents um but obviously you know that I fit in a little matinee of bug um, which is a play written by her spouse, Tracy Letts, who like sometimes I like, sometimes I otherwise, but um Sam, Sam, Sam. She was <laughs> just out of control in this play. And I took my 95-year-old grandpa. <laughs> Carrie Coon does full frontal nudity in this play. <laughs> so I'm just like sitting there with my grandpa. Didn't care though. <laughs> uh and there was like again directed by David Cromer, and there was some talk that it was gonna make its way to New York. I imagine those conversations are just obviously, you know, stunted for the time being. But, you know, I will just put that wish under my pillow from now until it happens. Um, and then the other thing on my checklist. So let's see. We got Katrina Lang. <laughs> we got Harry Kuhn. We got Tony Shalhoub. So last of all, we have to talk about what the Constitution means to me, <gasps> which was last season. But... But we're not done talking about it. (laughs) No, we're not done talking about it. And I went to its final performance in August. So that was since then. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And just to, you know, see what, just how it was such a culmination of everything Heidi Schreck had done with that play. And she really sort of changed, um, she changed the conversation around, around plays by and about women. Um, And grateful to her forever and now she's a shiro for sure did you catch the tour well that's you guys i'm such a psycho so that (laughs) same that same day that i saw bug in chicago i like had to choose here i went to a matinee of bug and then i went to the evening performance of what the constitution means to me starring maria dizia as heidi shrek in chicago i expected nothing less from you the fact that i lived through that day but then literally Broadway shut down three days later. They were like, all right, that's it. You've gotten yeah. what you've gotten. Like, you're done. <laughs> right. Barely lived through that day. Literally. So that's that. Oh, my gosh. Well, I uh, the whole point of doing this show is to get us to talk about things that we love. And I absolutely loved hearing all the things that you loved, which I also loved. Love, love, love. This was so much fun. Thank you guys for uh, participating in the first ever stage lefties. That's going to stick. <laughs> We're gonna make we're gonna make that a thing, um, and um, let's just keep putting wishes under our pillows, as Casey put it, for all the theater that we want to see, um, and for theater, of course, to come back when this is all over. Yes, please. Um, right? Yes. Amen. So, thank you to all of you. Thank you for those listening. And uh, Stage Lift will be back. Um, we'll figure out another way to do another episode, even if we can't uh, go to the theater in person. Well, Alrighty. Christian had a very good idea, which is to yeah. do to do a streaming episode where we talk about all the stuff that's been streaming. Mm-hmm. So done, done. That, You're now that, a co-producer, Christian. Thanks, <laughs> Rob. I mean, like you and I could do a four-hour episode on Significant Other. So, mm-hmm. well, yes, we that the bonus episode for sure. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, that's coming soon. Coming soon. Something you underestimate. That's it for this week. Stage Left, the podcast, is a co-production of the fabulous Invalid LLC and O&M Etc., and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode was edited and engineered by Jamie Dumont and Charles Van Kirk. 
And special thanks to Jason Robert Brown for our theme song, Wait Till You See What's Next, from his spectacular album, How We React and How We Recover. You can find this podcast online at stageleft.nyc, on the Broadway Podcast Network website, on iTunes, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can read my archive of reviews at stageleft.nyc and find me on Twitter at stageleft underscore NYC. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll tune in next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.